Man, it is so good to be with you and so good to be in the presence of the Lord. I just wanted to thank our worship team and Pastor Janelle. Just, I don't know about you, but it just refreshed from the inside out. And I believe it flows with the word that God has for us today. Uh, we're in our uh, series, summer series called Summer Stories. And in this series, uh, it's kind of a fun one. It's like employee picks. Yes, that was me. Kind of a late summer many, many years ago when I was running a half marathon. As you can tell, it's been a couple of years, but um, that was me. Yes, that was a good year. Uh, but summer stories, we're just uh, giving our teaching team the freedom to say, hey, what are some stories in the Word of God that have encouraged us and strengthened us and built up our hope and our faith and being uh, able to share those with you guys. And so it's just such a privilege to share with you. Before I jump in to the specific story this weekend, uh, I want to tell you about something that happened to me, uh, goodness, almost 21 years ago. That was I found myself in the backyard of our rental property just north of South Glen Mall, uh, kind of there in, in the Centennial area. And uh, I was in a business enterprise with a partner, and we were in the middle of a conversation, and uh, it kind of got heated, and I'm not going to lie to you, um, I was very frustrated. I felt like my business partner was not doing his part of the deal. I don't know if maybe you've been in a business partnership where you feel like you're carrying more than your share of the load and it gets frustrating and you're like, yes, I mean, this is a joy, but I can't carry mine and yours. You know, you need to do your part. And I was frustrated. I was angry. I was tired. I was burnt out. And I really kind of let my, my business partner have it. I mean, I really just laid into him, uh, even to the point of probably some language that wouldn't be, uh, uh, probably you guys wouldn't even maybe let me stand up here before you, if you do. Some of the things that were said as part of that conversation, I'm just being real with you. And uh, here's what made it more interesting, is that uh, the venture that we were a part of was a church plant. We had moved here from Michigan to be part of a bilingual church plant downtown. And my business partner was none other than the Lord. So, yes, I was out mowing my back lawn, and I let him have it. I said, I have moved my family here. We are going door-to-door -door among the Latino population in Northeast Denver, the cold neighborhood. We are busting our behinds. I am working a full-time job aside from trying to start a church. And would it be too much to ask to see a couple of miracles, maybe a couple of people drawn, maybe a couple of suburban churches with all kinds of budgets being like, sure, Pastor DJ, we'll support you with, like, a Tesla and a moped and maybe, like, a hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, just for being you and preaching the gospel. Uh, and none of those things happened. There was no moped. There was no Tesla. There was no hundred thousand dollars a year. And I was pretty frustrated and angry, and, uh, and I really let him have it. But here's the thing. Maybe you've been in a situation like that, where you kind of ask yourself, how in the world did I end up here? I didn't think I would ever find myself here. Maybe you're on the backside of a divorce and you're like, wow, I don't know what happened, but I didn't think I would be here. Maybe you're struggling with a sickness, an illness that has taken from you energy and strength or ability to do things. And you're like, wow, I don't think, I didn't see myself here in, as I saw my life's path and my life story progress. Maybe you have had, had filed bankruptcy and your finances are in shambles, and you're like, wow, I never thought that we would find ourselves here. Maybe you're turning 50 this week. Just saying. There could be somebody else. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about you. And you're like, wow, I didn't, you know, maybe I thought I'd be farther along, right? Maybe I thought I'd be, you know, doing this or that professionally or, or in my family or that my kids would be in a different place or 
whatever. I believe that God very much is aware of us in space and time. And he very much knows when we feel in those moments like, wow, I don't know how I ended up here. And to be honest, it feels like a struggle to carry on. It feels like a struggle to keep on going. It feels like this thing could really threaten to stop me, to derail me, to discourage me to the point where I don't keep pressing on for the promises of God that were in my heart at one time. And I believe that the story that God's laid on my heart speaks exactly to us in that situation. I'm so thankful that God knows, you know, the things that we think and the things that we experience, and he's not oblivious or aloof to those things. And so we're going to talk about the story of Joseph. And, um, of course, when I chose this, I kind of had temporarily forgot, because that happens when you're turning 50. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, this story has like eight chapters in the Bible. Like literally we could spend the entire, the entire message time just reading through the story, which could be really cool because it's a great story. But I encourage you, if you haven't read it, my hope is that um, I'm going to give you a little summary of it up front and we're going to talk about uh, this. But my hope is that you'll go back and read it afterwards. It starts with Genesis 37. And it goes all the way through chapter 45 or a little bit beyond that. But I believe it speaks to us. And, and here's something God wants us to know. You know, there are two parts to God's love. One part is uh, when he comforts us and holds us close. What, what I was feeling during that worship time, maybe you were too. Last night I was literally on my face over here because I came in really hurting. There's some stuff going on uh, relationally and different things that, that has my wife and, and me in, uh, feeling fairly raw and vulnerable. And I was just like coming into the sanctuary like, Okay, God, I'm supposed to teach <laughs> tonight. And if you don't do something in my heart, it could be really ugly. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going what's gonna to come out. And through the ministry of the worship team and, of course, the Holy Spirit, man, I was on my face just feeling like God was lifting bricks out of my backpack and just breathing his love. And don't you love it when God does that? Man, I love that. Whew. And that's a fancy term for that theologically is consolation. God uses consolation. He pulls us close. Some of you moms, right, you hold your baby and you, you nestle them and you comfort them. But there's another side to God's love. And I'm thankful there is because life is also full of it. And sometimes we don't know what to do. And that's called desolation. And that means when the mommy has to put the baby up on the high chair, be like, no, eat your Cheerios, Cohen, Evan, don't get down until you're done with those green beans, right? Sorry, I'm sorry. But right when, when God says, no, I'm not going to come and rescue you and hold you and take you out of trouble or out of this situation, but I have a plan to show you my love even as we walk through the situation, right? Have you, have you experienced anything of desolation? Anything tough that we don't understand? Anything that really it, it hurts? Yeah, and I believe that's what this story shows us, is that God can love us both in consolation and even in desolation. He has a plan. Ultimately, his goal, get this, is to make you unstoppable. His goal is not just to make you feel good about yourself or me feel good about ourselves, as important as that is, but his goal ultimately is to make us unstoppable. And I believe that he works in our lives to do that. So I'm going to give a quick summary for those of you that might not have read this story in a little while. Joseph, starting in Genesis 37, he's a young man of 17. He's got 11 brothers. And uh, he turns in, he gives his dad a bad report about his brothers. They were uh, shepherds, and he tells on them, and of course, they hate him for it, right? So his dad, thinking he's going to make the situation better, decides, what could I do? I know. 
I'll give him a coat of many colors, symbolizing how much more I love him than all of the rest of my children. So he proceeds to do that. Uh, note to self-parents, maybe that's not the best of birth. Anyway, but so he does that. So Joseph, of course, is like donning this new attire, you know, bah, 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 huh. you know, and he's learning his moves, you know, turn, always turn left or whatever. And, uh, and so, his brother, so then uh, his brothers go out uh, on, well, here's what happens. Then he has a couple of dreams, right, where uh, 11 other sheaves of wheat bow down to his sheaf of wheat. And then he has a dream where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down to him. And he shares this, of course, always the right thing to do when you have a dream that others are bowing down to you. Make sure you tell them right away. So he shares this with his family. He says they hated him even more. Right? Understandably so. So he has these dreams. So his brothers hate him, man. There's dysfunction in this family. There's favoritism, all kinds of messes. His brothers go off back with the sheep out to some fields far away. His dad sends them once again, hey, go check on them, bring back a report. They see him coming from a distance. They're like, there is our beloved brother, our father's favorite. Let's go and welcome him and show him around. No, they don't do that. They're like, let's kill him. So Reuben steps in, he's like, well, I'll tell you what, guys, let's not kill him, let's throw him in this pit, and then we can decide what to do. And they're like, well, okay, fine, whatever, you know. So we are brothers, after all, so, you know, you got to treat your brother with kindness. Don't kill him, just throw him in a pit. So they throw him in a pit, they decide, you know what, we're going to stain his robe, they strip him of his robe, and they're going to stain it with blood from like a goat or something that they find, give it back to the dad so he thinks his son is dead, then they can move on with their life and all be equals and have a healthier family, right? Things are always better on the other side of murdering your siblings. So anyway, so they do that, but in the meantime, some Ishmaelites or Midianites come by, and there's a procession of them, and they're on their way to Egypt, and they decide, you know what? I have a better idea. <laughs> Even more kind is to sell him as a slave to these guys. So they do that. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. He ends up going down to Egypt. I love it. That chapter ends with just a little side note of, oh, and they sold him, and he ended up in the house of Potiphar, the chief of the guard of the Pharaoh, the most influential person in the entire world at that time. Just kind of drops that, like, you know, he ends up here, still a slave, still being, uh, you know, betrayed by his brothers, still has no rights, been stripped of all his honor and, and identity and everything of the coat that his father had given him. All that to say, fast forward, he ends up in Potiphar's house and it says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. God blessed him in everything he did. So all of a sudden, he starts getting promoted, right? He's like, oh, assistant shift leader, you know, and then shift leader, and then assistant to the regional manager, and then assistant manager, you know, and he starts getting promoted. I don't know what his job was, but, you know, sorting everything and just doing all the stuff that somebody, he ends up being the head guy of the entire household other than Potiphar himself. So God is just blessing, promoting. So finally, I bet he's like, sweet, this is more like it. I mean, I'm still not home, but hey, you know what? Maybe I'll take the family jet, go back home, see the folks. You know, this could work out after all. In the course of time, Potiphar's wife notices that because of lifting all those heavy bricks, you know, of his servant days, all of a sudden now he's kind of like, you know, hey, my name is Yosef. How you doing? You know. So Potiphar's wife notices him, gets the hots for him, decides, you know, has some, some bad thoughts. And he's like, no way. Like, I am staying away from you. I'm not going to dishonor, the, you know, my God and, and all that. So he stays away. But one day she catches him by the coat and doesn't let go. And he finally runs out of the house, leaves his coat behind. She creates this whole story that he was trying to do something, frames him, Potiphar gets home, what's he going to do? You know, he said, she said, even if he loved him, whether he believed her or not, the only thing he could do, throws him in prison. Throws him in prison. All of a sudden now Joseph is like, 
back down to the bottom, unfairly accused, unjustly framed. And in the process of time, he's in the prison, and he decides, okay, so he continues to just put one foot in front of, of the other, I'm sure not understanding what in the world was going on. I'm sure asking himself the question that we just talked about, how did I end up here? What happened, God? Hello? Are you up there? Is anybody up there? Are you listening? Because this doesn't make any sense that I would be here. One day, two people, very influential people, get arrested, thrown into prison. He's been promoted by then, once again, exalted by the warden to be put in charge of the entire prison. And it finds out it's the cupbearer and the baker of the pharaoh. They both have dreams. They had offended the pharaoh. Note to self, if you know a pharaoh, don't offend them. You can get thrown in jail. Um, but they have dreams. He ends up noticing their distress and says, hey, what, what can I do? What's going on? Oh, we had these dreams and we don't know what they mean. So they share their dreams with him. He tells them, hey, cupbearer, good news for you. In three days, you're going to be back promoted back to your spot. And you're going to be, once again, pouring the wine into the hands of the king's goblet. And then the baker's like, oh, sweet. Well, I had a dream too, you know. And he's like, he tells him the dream. He's like, oh. Uh, in three days, they're going to chop off your head. <laughs> Literally, he says, they're going to lift off your head. <laughs> and he's like, probably sorry that he uh, mentioned the dream. That was a long 72 hours, you know, for the baker. Uh, those last, last three days, knowing, eh, no, I'll stay in jail. I'm good, really. But all that to say, he tells the, uh, the cupbearer, hey, when you're released, please remember me. Please tell Pharaoh about me. Please remember my situation. No doubt he might have thought in his mind, this is my ticket. This is my ticket. Now I've met the cupbearer. He knows the pharaoh. He's going back in 72 hours. Woohoo! I'm out of here. I have a great, right? Nothing like word of mouth marketing, right? It's like, okay, he told me everything that I needed to know. He has supernatural wisdom. Surely this is my ticket out of here. Guess what the cupbearer does? Totally forgets. What? Joseph who? No, I don't remember any Joseph. You know, what? Okay, so I say he stays in jail a longer time until finally the pharaoh has some dreams about seven skinny cows eating seven fat cows and seven skinny sheaves of wheat eating seven plump sheaves of wheat. And all of a sudden, the Pharaoh's like, I don't know what this means, but we need to find out what this, what's going on. I've had two dreams. This seems really important. And the cupbearer's like, oy vey. Maybe. <laughs> oy vey. Now, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And he says, there's a guy in jail that told me my dream, told me the interpretation. He surely could help us. So sure enough, Pharaoh's like, whoa, what are you doing still standing here? Go get him. So they go get him. First of all, he shaves because he had like a beard, you know, like the Robertsons or whatever, you know, from Oklahoma uh, or Louisiana. So he shaves his beard and uh, goes back. All of a sudden, bam, from one moment to the next, he's in prison. All of a sudden, bam, he's shaved. He's got clean clothes, maybe some new Nike Air Jordans, whatever. He shows up, and he's in front of Pharaoh. He tells him the interpretation of the dream. Pharaoh's like, who is like you who has wisdom? Why don't you then be in charge of producing storehouses of grain to keep us alive when the seven years of famine come? And so sure enough, he gets promoted. Incredible story, right? But here's what I believe. I want to jump in real quick at what are some of the things that Joseph did that allowed God to make him unstoppable when everything about where he found himself seemed discouraging, impossible, and like God had turned his back on him. And I believe if we can learn to do those same things, God wants to make us unstoppable as well. You ready? Okay. So here is the first thing. I believe that um, once in a while it helps to hold all the cards, right? Like in a poker game. 
And I believe that the first thing that made Joseph unstoppable was that he had the Father's favor. Mm, I'm not a preacher, but if I were, that could preach up in here. He had the Father's favor. He received a coat of many colors. The Father spoke over him, I delight in you. I love you. I believe in you. You're going places. You've got potential. There's gifts in you. There's, I see you. I, I respect you as my son. I, I believe in you. Ooh, come on. When we have the Father's favor, I believe that is the first and most important foundation to make us unstoppable. And you have that. Maybe some of you need to go back home today and read Psalm 139 where the psalmist was writing, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I rise, you know when I go to bed. If I make my bed in the depths of, of hell, even there, your spirit will be with me. I'm paraphrasing. But it's an incredible chapter just to allow the love of the Father, the favor of the Father. He says, how many are your thoughts about me, O oh God? How, like literally God sits there and thinks about you. Think about that for a minute. God is sitting there and it says, how many are your thoughts concerning me or about me? The Father looks at you with favor. You have a coat of dignity and of honor and of love from the Father. Rest in that. That's the first thing the enemy goes after to try to make us a stall in our journey is to remove our understanding of the Father's favor and love on our own lives. And you know what? Favor is a powerful thing, guys. Favor, wars have been fought over favor, honor, dishonor, disfavor. Everybody wants favor. Everybody wants honor. Everybody's starving for it. Tensions in our country, if I could bring it down to one word, it'd be honor and favor. Because when, when we don't understand it, man, we'll do anything. We'll, we'll, we'll fight, we'll claw, we'll scratch, we'll do anything to get that favor and that honor that we're lacking. And God is saying, man, you don't have to, I'm here to give it to you freely. I love you. Joseph walked in that. Here's the cool thing. Even when uh, they stripped him of his robe, they could not touch the favor that it represented. Think about that. Even when you go through a situation where you feel like your robe has been stripped from you, your title, your position, your influence, your reputation, whatever it might be, I believe that God wants us to understand that the favor that it represents can never be touched because that's something that he has instilled in us and it's something that we carry in his eyes. Okay, the favor of the Father, powerful thing. Walk in it. Don't let the enemy lie to you. A second thing that Joseph did that we can do is we can say no to bitterness. Man, I'm telling you what, when we go through these difficult places in life and we find ourselves in places that we never thought we would be, it seems like to me, oftentimes, I'm tempted with bitterness. I'm tempted to look around and go, whose fault is this? Who did this to me? Somebody made a decision at work that canceled my, made my job no longer necessary. Somebody, you know, whatever. Somebody betrayed me in a friendship and now this is why I'm on the outside looking in. Somebody, my spouse, is being this way, and that's what's causing my problem. Somebody, right, the Lord, as I shared with you my story, the Lord isn't doing his job in bringing his blessing. Whatever it might be, I think easy, how easy it is to become bitter and to point the finger. And Dan helped me see this, excuse me. He helped me see the fact that we have a choice of perspective because the same Joseph who could have looked at his life and said, man, three times, 
I've been victimized three times. I was betrayed by my brothers. I was sold into slavery. I was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And ultimately, I was forgotten by the cupbearer. He could have said, man, my life is just a story of bad luck upon bad luck upon bad luck. Upon God not taking care of me, not fulfilling his promise time after time after time. But that same Joseph could look at his life, and I believe he did, and say, well, yes, there were three instances where very difficult things happened, but God elevated me three times. Because even though my brothers betrayed me, I ended up in Potiphar's household and was elevated there. And even though Potiphar's wife tried to bring me down, I ended up in prison where once again God gave me favor and was with me in the prison and put me in charge of it. And even though the cupbearer forgot about me, but ultimately God found a way to bring me back into the equation when the time was right and I was promoted. You see, we can have the same set of experiences and think about the three times that we were victimized or the three times that we were elevated. I believe God's giving us a choice and he's calling us to say, hey, say no to bitterness. Don't let it bring you down. What about this? Have you ever been a part of this conversation? Oh my God, are you serious? And we can say that because we literally are asking the Lord, so I'm not being profane. Oh my God, are you really serious? Is this really happening? Is this really where I'm at? And then, once in a great while, we will hear in a thunderous voice with a little bit of reverb, Moses, 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 stretch your rod across the Red Sea. Stretch your rod across the Red Sea. And they will part before you, part before you, part before you. And that still requires faith, right? That still requires courage and obedience, and that's a huge deal. When God gives us a very specific step to take, we still have to take it, right? That's still challenging. But I've found, I don't know about you, more often than that specific answer to, oh my God, are you serious? What are we doing here? It's Have you ever experienced that? The crickets of heaven in the midst of your most sincere, heartfelt cry to God, how am I here? What in the world is going on around me? Oftentimes we hear nothing. And what do we do at that point? How do we then, what's our next line in that conversation? I believe God is challenging us and he wants us to understand that sometimes our next line can actually be, well, alrighty then. What do I mean by that? Well, all righty then. It means, okay, you're not explaining to me what you're doing. You're not justifying what you're allowing in my life. You're not asking my permission. You're not, you know, showering me with volumes of information like I'm asking you for. I'm hearing nothing. But what do I have in front of me? Well, all righty then. What can I do today? Okay, when he was in Potiphar's household, Okay, I can organize the storage room. Okay, I can alphabetize the types of grain. Okay, I can polish the silverware once again. Okay, I can, right? What is it that I can do? In the prison, can you imagine being even elevated in the prison in those days? They didn't have sewage. It was kind of a mess in there. You know what I'm saying? So he's probably like, okay, pick up the bucket. Prisoner 42, dude, lay off the burritos, all right? Okay. It's not always fun to, to, to say alrighty then and to do whatever is in front of us to do. But sometimes that's exactly the thing that God's asking of us. I'm going to share with you 
a little bit of Spanish humor. Some of you won't get it, but I believe my friend Manny will get it. Somebody went to a horse race, and he said, I, I was, he's telling a friend, he goes, I went to this horse race, and he goes, I had to use the restroom, and I asked the guy, what door is it? He says, down this long hallway, last door on your left. So he went down the long hallway, but he couldn't remember by the time he got there. I think he was turning 50. Couldn't remember, was it on the left? So he ended up taking the door on the right. All of a sudden, he goes, I was walking down that hallway, got narrower and narrower. All of a sudden, I saw a gate in front of me and heard a bell. Some guy jumped on my back. The gate opened. And he started beating me. And, he, and all of a sudden, he goes, I was in the midst of a bunch of horses running. And the guy's like, oh, my goodness, what did you do? And he's like, well, I did what I could. I came in third. Hice lo que pude, quedé tercero. Here's my point. Hopefully that helps you remember. Sometimes we just have to do what we can. We don't understand where we're at, what's going on. But it's okay. Just, just run. Just gallop. <laughs> do what your hand finds to do until God decides to speak and bring clarity. That's what Joseph did. He said no to bitterness. I don't have time right now to go into the difference between hurt and harm, but I, I'll just mention this. Sometimes we are trained to avoid hurt. Oh, I was hurt here in this relationship in a friendship, in this church, in this marriage, I was hurt. I need to get out. And I believe that God wants us to understand there's a difference between hurt and harm because hurt sometimes can bring about something good. When we're in the gym, which as you guys know, isn't very often for me, but I think I was in one one time in 1997. I know they exist. I believe in them. Um, when we're in the gym, hurt is a part of it, right? Anybody who works out? Yes, hurt is a part of it. It's literally breaking down muscle tissue it grows back stronger. When we're having a baby, any ladies here had a baby? Was there a little bit of hurt involved in that process? Maybe just a little bit, right? But then what? Hopefully joy, reward, gladness on the other side of that. Hurt can be something that even though it's unpleasant, it can be part of God's plan for us. Harm, on the other hand, is when the enemy is trying to destroy us and deliberately bring us down. And that, obviously, I'm not saying is something we need to linger in or ever go after. But here's the interesting thing. God can use both hurt and harm. I don't believe God ever sends harm to his kids, but harm happens, doesn't it? Somebody should make a bumper sticker. Harm happens. Nate, you can have that trademark. Harm happens in our lives. And the beautiful thing about our God is that in his love, in his ability to both through consolation and desolation, through the happy, comforting times and the difficult, dry times, He's able to love us and use whatever harm the enemy intended or whatever hurt we're experiencing for good if we'll just stay in it, say no to bitterness. What about this one? I believe Joseph persevered when tested. And I believe we can persevere. We can make a choice to persevere when tested. Um, every foundation of anything worth building will be tested. Do you agree? Every foundation of anything worth building will be tested, and rightly so. You don't want to build this huge skyscraper. My son, Zach, hi, Zach and Courtney, if you're watching, um, they live in San Francisco on the 18th story, 19th story of this building downtown. They had an earthquake uh, last week or a week before, 4.8, I think, and they felt a little bit of that sway, you know, even the waters in the pool on the 11th floor, not jealous, just mentioning it as a fact, um, were, 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 were moving, I'm sure, but here's the deal. I'm glad somebody tested that foundation when they built that building so that it would be solid. And I believe the same is true in our lives. When God is desiring to build something that endures in our lives, sometimes that foundation has to be tested. And it certainly was in the life of Joseph. Would you agree? 
His character was tested. His, his perseverance was tested. His faith in the Lord was tested. And yours will be tested, I'm sure is being tested. I'm sure right now you can think of something that you're going through in your life where you're like, ah, this feels hard. This feels, I don't want this. But sometimes maybe it's the Lord testing the strength of that concrete, of that steel, of that resolve in your spirit with his spirit. Hang in there. Mike Tyson, famous theologian. In this case, I think he was. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right? Everybody's like, okay, so I'm going to go in, ding, ding, and then I'm going to duck, and then I'm going to duck again, and then I'm going to oh, do one of these guys. And then I'm going to pow, and then he's going to go down. Right? That's a great plan. What is wrong with this plan? But here's the deal. That's not typically how it happens, right? It's like, okay, and all of a sudden, <laughs> and we all have a plan. That's a picture of life, I believe. We all have a plan of how God's going to do this thing. How God's going to fulfill his promise in my life. How God's going to make me more like Jesus. How God's going to bring me through to my inheritance in him or, or to effectiveness in his kingdom. But it doesn't often look like the brochure. And more often than not, we get punched in the mouth. And something completely unexpected happens that breaks our heart and that threatens to derail us. Will we persevere in that moment? Pastor Rob said this, true faith begins when the formulas don't work. When we go off-road, when the GPS doesn't have any reception, and we're like, Lord, I sure hope you're taking us somewhere because I don't know where we are, and I feel lost, and I'm just in the passenger seat trusting you to drive and believing in your love and hanging in here, not jumping out out of fear. Persevere when tested. I wrote this, sometimes the only proof you'll have of God's favor is his word. Sometimes God leads us through places that are so dark and so dry that the only proof we have is that he said he loves us. And he said he's with us and he said he's for us. And we look around at the enemy's like, but look around. There's nothing but desolation and dry sand for miles. Dude, your God has abandoned you. You've blown it. Your God has rejected you. And we look around and we see zero proof. But we have the word of God, his promise. As Pastor Rob was saying, I believe that's where faith really gets cemented and solidified. Is when we're like, you know what? But God said... But God said, yeah, it's okay to agree with the facts. Yes, devil, you're right. It is pretty dry and weary around here. It is this, I'm not going to build a three-story condo right here in this desert. But God, but my God told me he loves me. But his word says that even if I make my bed in hell, even there he will be with me. Sometimes the only proof you'll have is his word. What about this? Sometimes the path is so narrow the only preacher who can walk with you is you. And the only sermon you're going to hear is the one you preach to yourself. Sometimes the road gets so narrow that the very people you've counted on to support you aren't supporting you or aren't able to carry you in that moment. And the only sermon you'll hear is the one that you tell yourself. Like David, when he strengthened himself in the Lord, when in Ziklag they had kidnapped all the women and children, all of his own band of soldiers were threatening to stone him to death because they were so grieved. And it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. I believe Joseph did that. Obviously, I'm probably taking some liberty with it, but it, 
I think we see evidence in his life that he found a way to strengthen himself. And I believe God wants to encourage us through his example. Hey, strengthen yourself in me. Persevere when tested. Don't give up. The last thing I want to talk about is that we need to allow ourselves to be changed in the process. God wants us to allow ourselves to be changed. I had a literature teacher in my freshman year of college who said, give yourself permission to grow. She said that because we were a bunch of Bible college students and we're like, literature, it's dumb. <laughs> Why do we have to learn about Shakespeare? <laughs> but she was like, give yourself permission to grow. Give yourself permission to change. Give yourself permission to learn something new. Give your heart permission to understand something it didn't before. And I believe that's what God would say to us is, give yourself permission to be changed by me. Here's the thing. I believe the 17-year-old that got those dreams, would you say those dreams were true? They were. Would you say those dreams were from God? They were. But the Joseph at 17 that got those dreams, like, sweet, I can imagine him sitting up, and, what? they're all going to bow down to me? Awesome. Sweet. Rock on. Right? That seems like a pretty cool thing. I don't think that Joseph was the same person that actually inherited the promises by the time they came around. I think he was changed in the process. What changed? Suffering, endurance, being in a dry place, being falsely accused, being betrayed by his brothers. I'm not saying those are good things, but I believe God used each and every one of those to change and transform his character so that by the time he inherited the promise, by the time, and I didn't read that or didn't summarize that earlier, but eventually his family, his brothers in the land of Canaan went through the same drought that was happening in Egypt, and they ended up having to come down to Egypt for food. They came down, they met with him since he was in charge of all the storehouses. They didn't know who he was. He was no doubt dressed like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian. Thank you. Walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> and what did they do? They fell on their feet and bowed down and said, please sell us some grain. Our families are starving, please. And he didn't even reveal himself right then. He kind of played it out a little bit, had some fun. Read it. It's crazy story because you know the irony he's speaking through an interpreter but he can understand everything they're saying to each other they're like oh, oh, oh. it's this whole family drama amazing story but ultimately the cool part is he forgives them he welcomes them it said he wept so loudly the egyptians and other houses could hear him when he was like it's okay brothers bring it in guys and they're like Duh! this guy could literally snap his finger and whap off with our heads But he didn't. Why? He had learned to forgive. He had learned to say no to bitterness. He had learned to persevere. He had learned ultimately that God had a bigger plan than him receiving adulation from men. He learned that God's purpose was actually to save lives. And that's exactly what he says in chapter 45. I believe it is. Yes, chapter 45 Verse 4 says this, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because, listen to this, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I believe Joseph, Joseph at this point, understood it isn't about me. Yeah, sure, whatever, you guys, you guys fell down and bowed before me, and wow, that's awesome, that fulfilled God's dream. But it isn't about that. Get up, get up. Let's hug it out, guys. You meant it for evil, he goes on to say in a later chapter, but God meant it for good. 
you might have done this, but God sent me. Ooh. Can we get to the place where we understand that even those difficult, most painful of things in life might not have been sent by God. They might have been done to us by someone else. But can we allow God to heal our heart and to break us in him to the point where we're like, but God, God did this for good. God allowed this to bring about something even bigger. It was to save lives. I believe God wants to use you and me for purposes far beyond ourselves, but we won't be able to get there if we're looking at who's bowing down before me, if we only cling to certain aspects of the promise without saying, Lord, however, whenever you want to fulfill this, let me just be putty in your hands. Mold me, make me, break me. Here's, I'll close with this. Joseph had two sons in Egypt, and Genesis 41 starting with verse 50, tells us their names. And I believe they're symbolic of what God's purposes are for Joseph and what his purposes are for us. And I'm going to read it. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. He said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Think about that for a second. Think about that memory that's so difficult to forget, that painful thing that you endured, that injustice. We serve a God who's actually able to bring us to a place where we're able to forget the pain of that and the hurt of that. And then the next verse says this, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God has made me fruitful in the land of of my suffering. I believe, and if Janelle could come forward, I believe that God, part of the reason he wants to stick, us to stick it out is because he's saying, I want to bless you right in the middle of that place that the devil told you that can never grow anything in that place. That this place is cursed. That this place is abandoned. That you're all alone. I want to reveal my goodness to you right there in the land of your suffering and have you grow like a green, luscious olive tree and be fruitful in me. And if we persevere, if we endure, if we receive and embrace and contend for and believe in the favor of the Father, I believe that God will get us to that place and we'll see that promise fulfilled in our lives. We're going to go into a time of communion together just as we process and digest the word of God to us and his goodness to us. We wanted to have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper together and to just cement his word in our hearts by that. But I want to just to ask you, before partaking of that together, we came up, we felt like God spoke to us as a church three things for the year 2021. One encounter with God, one step that we can take that God is showing us in the right direction, and one person that we can engage that might be hurting or lonely, or broken. And so I want to challenge you real quickly here. This is a church, if you're new with us, that we can get interactive sometimes and just give you an opportunity to, to speak back and preach back or teach back as we are family together. And so this is one of those times Pastor Dan has a mic in the back. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you have something to share. And here's the question. As you think about one person in your life that's going through something difficult, I want you to think, what would God speak to them? 
based on what we've just heard this morning? What would be a word of encouragement, a word of hope that God would want to speak to them? What about this? What, what is one aspect of an encounter with Jesus and the Father's favor that can literally change our perspective? What's one step that we could take today? Because guess what? Even if it's not for you, I believe if you share what the Lord is, maybe something is stirring in your heart right now, that might be exactly what someone else here needed to hear and the way that Jesus wants to encounter them as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. So as Janelle plays, I just want to know, anybody have a stirring just in hearing the story of Joseph? What would Jesus say, whether to you or to someone else? What can you hear Jesus saying to them, making himself real, making his faithfulness real? Anyone? DJ, you said it earlier when you said, say it out loud what God is saying to you because the devil wants to attack us in our spirit mm -hmm. and in that quietness, but we need to say it out loud. No, God loves me. No, that's mm -hmm. a lie. No, yeah. that's not the truth. Yeah. And we need to say it out loud because we're always watching videos and all that, and we hear that, but we need to hear it with our own voice what God is saying to us. So good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for sharing that. There's such power in our agreement, right? It says the word is yes and amen. When we echo back to God, God's like, do you believe me? Do you believe that I am who I say I am? Then say it. Tell me that you believe me. Tell me that you believe I'm with you. That's worship to the Lord. So good, Kim. Thank you for sharing that. Somebody else, what would Jesus speak? midst of the season of just not being able to control things, um, in the midst of chaos, he's just saying, come away, step out of the boat. Um, life is so comfortable, and the pand pandemic just shook it up. And um, we're in that season right now where he said, get out of the boat, and, and we have, and we even burned the fields, you know. <laughs> um, and, and he's saying, I wake up every morning, I keep hearing, come away with me, come away with me. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be worth it. Come away. And, and I think there are other people here that need to hear that, that despite you waking up in a comfortable bed every morning, he's got more. Yeah. And if he wants you to step out of the boat, you got to do it. Yeah. And it's scary, and it's worth it. We've got three little ones, and we just sold our house, and we're hitting the road full-time in ministry. But he says, come away with me. Yeah. And just step out of the boat. So good. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Somebody else? I just want to say yes and amen to both of those. Mm. Brother, you got it right on over there. <laughs> um, just times away with God for me have just been so precious, so good. And um, he, he just wants to touch us uh, inside and out. But he also wants to touch the people around us. And I just, I just felt like God was saying, Hey, I did it. You know, when Jesus was on this earth, mm -hmm. I did it through him. And you guys, we are his body here. So let's get to the healing. Let's get mm -hmm. to the miracles. Let's Amen. listen to God. Allow him to fill us with faith for whatever it is he wants to do. Yes. 
go for it. Mm, come on. Thank you for sharing that, Melanie. Let's let him make us unstoppable like he is. Amen. One more. Yeah. Uh, John 16, 33 came to my mind um, that says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And I think it's just so good to cling on to when you are going through something because, you know, there's stories over and over in the Bible, like the one he shared, where we're going to have tribulation, but we can have peace through that. And our Lord has already overcome it. You know, he already has our way out of that and just run to him in those situations. So, so good. Thank you so much. He has overcome the world. I think for me, God is uh, saying right now that you are in favor and you have hard times. I think sometimes I say to myself, well, if I, I have these hard times that I'm not in God's favor. Right. And, I, and that's just not true. And I think that that's something that I have to speak. And maybe there's somebody else here that's going through what I'm going through. But just that you can do hard times and be in favor with God. So good. The parallel tracks of I'm wanting you to feel loved and accepted and favored, and I'm making you unstoppable. I'm transforming you. I'm, I'm building your strength. Alyssa knows a little bit about that as a commander in the army, you know, what the soldiers have to go through to become all that they're meant to be, to be effective, and God's doing that in our lives as well. Wow. One more, last one. I got a good picture of God's love this morning. We were talking about a Nana that we're missing. And just remembering, like, if you've ever have a, had a grandma or a parent, if you're younger, you don't know yet, but they're gone now. But you remember their love. And it's just every time you see them, they're happy to see you. They give you the best hug. They have your favorite food ready. There's never an inconvenient time. It's always like, come over. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy you're here. Sit with me. Tell me about your life. I want to know about you. And I just think, like, how much more, like, I'm missing this Nana, but how much more is God's love for us than that? Like, even better than the best grandma's love. His love is come here. Come with me. I want to know everything about you. And I want you to know me. And I have this lavish love for you to pour out. And I don't run out. I don't run out of love for you, and I don't run out of grace for you when you fall down, when you slip up. I'm not going to run out. So come back. Come back, and I'm going to fill you up. <laughs> so good. Thank you, Arissa. Yeah, there's more where that came from. So good. Always more where that came from. Well, as we go into this time of communion, I want you to open your heart, and maybe one of those words that someone shared is exactly what God is wanting to speak to you. Maybe it's come away with me. Maybe it's there's more where that came from. Maybe it's get out of the boat. Whatever it might be, just believe that God would have us open his heart. You know, when we talk about the name Ephraim, I will make you fruitful in the land of your suffering, who exemplifies that more than Jesus? When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, getting ready to lay down his life. And I believe the Father is saying, you'll see the result of your suffering and you will be glad. You will rejoice. Because you, I, I, the one who has humbled you, I will exalt you. Give you a name that is above every other name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's able to do the same. Thank you for sharing that, Nora. He has overcome the world, and he's inviting us to walk in his victory as we trust in him. So, Father, as we prepare and open our hearts to celebrate your broken body for us and your blood poured out for us, Jesus, we rejoice that you did it first. <laughs> we rejoice that you didn't sit back and say, okay, go do this, lay down your lives. Trust the Father, obey the Father. <laughs> Lord, we rejoice that you went ahead as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and you showed us how it's done. You showed us how to win. You showed us how to trust. You showed us how to surrender. And so, Lord, we are blessed to follow in your footsteps and partake of your same attitude and partake of your same victory. There's the elements underneath your seats if you'd like to take them now. There's, if you want to take the wafer out of the top portion of the cup, Lord, we rejoice. You held nothing back, but you allowed yourself to be beaten and bruised and even crushed so that we could be accepted, so that we could be brought near, so that we could be in you. And we celebrate that together as we partake symbolically of your body in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. prepare to take the grape juice symbolizing his blood poured out for us together. I just want to give you an opportunity once again just to listen to his voice and what it is that he would speak to you uniquely in this place. And then whenever you're ready, you can partake. Father, thank you for opening our hearts and our ears to hear your word of encouragement to us right now. In Jesus' name. God, whisper your favor upon your sons and daughters. Minister to every broken and crushed and wounded heart. Wash away every root of bitterness, unforgiveness from us. Set us free to trust your mighty hand to make all things right in the end to fulfill every promise you've made, to bring us through the valley, 
to make a wide and spacious place for our feet to establish us in your way, in your time. We trust in you. Bless your people. Seal this word. Let it bear fruit in our lives as we trust in you. In Jesus' name.